call uh, reality TV. And I remember Googling one time realitytv.com a number of years ago, and at that point in time, in any given week, you could watch 168 different television reality shows in any given week. That was one for every hour of the week. And people are enthralled by, uh, by these programs, these reality shows, thinking that if, if somehow I am like the person or the people I see in these television reality shows, that will give me fulfillment in my life. Uh, I will know what life is all about. And we, most of us in this room today know that's not true. But what this points out to us, this hunger for reality, is that there are people who are deeply searching for what is real in life. Reality is defined as that which truly exists, and not mere appearance, but that which is genuine, that which is real. And this hunger for reality in people's lives should not surprise us. If you were to read Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, it says to us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Deep down inside every human being, created in the image of God, is a desire to know what's next. I don't know if you've experienced that in your conversations with people. Uh, over many years, I've discovered that yet people are wondering, what is next? What, what is this life all, is ab- all about? But is there anything after this life? And again, that should not surprise us because God has put that into people. He created them that way with this desire to know what's next. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. I found in my conversations uh, kind of two prime times in people's lives where they're really wondering what's next is when they are young adults, kind of that 18 to 30 years of age, often there's thinking, what's next? Because that's a very uh, time in people's lives, obviously, where they're, they're wondering what is next, what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> you know, what, does, what is next for me? But I've also discovered in a lot of conversations with people, usually around that age of 60 or 65, which we kind of call, you know, moving towards retirement age, there's a sense in people's hearts and minds, what is next for me? Because they realize now they are older and wondering what might be next. So that has been put there, a hunger to know what is real in life. I imagine most of us gathered in the room today or online this morning know that what's real in life can only be found in a relationship with God. We've come to know and understand Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And this morning, I want us to turn together to uh, just a couple of verses in Philippians chapter 3, primarily verses 10 and 11 of Philippians chapter 3, and here the Apostle Paul speaks to us about the reality of a relationship with Jesus. And we're going to discover together this morning in these two verses four things that we need to be reminded of if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, about the reality of our relationship with Christ. But not only are these four things for us who know Christ, these are four things I believe we must share with those who are part of our everyday lives who do not yet know Christ, because they need to know these things in order to come to know and understand who Jesus is and exactly what Jesus Christ has done for them. So turn with me there this morning, whether you have a printed copy or on your tablet or your smartphone and follow along with me. By the way, I encourage you, bring a copy of God's Word with you when you come to the house of the Lord. 
I know your church is faithful in preaching and teaching the truth of God's Word. So bring a copy with you. Again, uh, we love the convenience of our smartphone or a tablet or, again, a printed copy of the Word of God. But would you pick up with me? I'll actually start in Philippians 3, verse 7, but our main focus will be in verses 10 and 11. Paul says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing of His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. What do we need to to know today about the reality of our relationship with Jesus? Number one is this, a real relationship with Jesus must be personal. It must be personal. Pick up with me uh, down in verse 10. Paul starts off there and he says what? I want to know Christ. And back in verse 8, he talks about the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To know here is to know by experience. In other words, this is just not a head knowledge about Jesus. But it's, it's come to that place where one has experienced salvation. For me, that happened when I was 10 years of age. Uh, I came to know Christ at a, at a camp that I went to because it was connected to the church that I was going to. The only way I got to that church was because people in that church loved children for Jesus. And just as you're offering camps that's demonstrating to your community you love children for Jesus, I got to go to Sunday school because people in a church were willing to pick me up on a bus and take me to Sunday school. Uh, We don't have bus ministry much anymore. It's expensive, and there was a lot of rules and regulations that came in, so most churches didn't do bus ministry anymore. But I got to go to Sunday school on a bus. I started when I was four years of age, when we first immigrated to Canada. And God had orchestrated all that for me, and my parents were thinking, you're going to pick up our kids on Sunday morning and take them for three hours? My parents were thinking, hmm, quiet Sunday morning. (laughs) Please take them. They didn't sign any paperwork. They didn't ask for any information. They just sent us to Sunday school. That probably wasn't the greatest thing back in that day, by the way. And thankfully, today, we have much more in place for the safety and security of our ministry to children. I think that's vitally important. But off we went to Sunday school and absolutely loved it. And there were people on the bus and people in our Sunday school classes who were so faithful in just teaching us the Word of God, sharing with us the wonderful stories of the Bible and helping us understand who Jesus was. And as a result of going to that church, I ended up going to a camp connected with that church. And on the final night, Friday night, when the invitation was given, I got up from the back row, sitting there with my counselor and the kids in my cabin, and I came down in tears and got down on my knees, just like a place like this. And there I experienced salvation. See, I knew a lot about Jesus. I'd learned a lot in six years. (laughs) I loved learning about Jesus and about the Word of God. But that was the very moment when I knew, as I prayed to accept Jesus Christ and ask forgiveness of my sins, 
that my sins were forgiven, and I had the guarantee of a home in heaven for all eternity. At age 10, that's all I needed to know. I've learned a lot since that time. But at that moment, I experienced salvation. See, it was no longer just a head knowledge for me, but it affected my heart and my will, and it changed my life for all eternity. And I am so grateful for people in a church like this who loved a kid for Jesus. A lot of people know a lot about Jesus and can tell you lots of facts, but they do not know Jesus personally. Let me illustrate it this way. When I first met the young lady who would eventually become my wife, and, uh, you know, I was already a pastor at that time, serving as an assistant pastor at a church, and I met this young lady in the church, and uh, I got invited home to her, uh, her family for, for dinner, uh, Sunday lunch, and uh, it was actually an older sister who invited me. I think the older sister was also uh, interested in me. I'm not sure the one I married was interested in me, but at that point, the older sister was. <laughs> <laughs> God loved me and had a wonderful plan for my life. <laughs> so I went for Sunday lunch, and I met the extended family of this young lady who would eventually become my wife. Uh, her parents already were part of the church family, so I knew them, and I knew the, the one older sister. But I mess, met the rest of the family. So the parents were Vince and Mary. Their surname was Woodhouse. And then I met all the children. Are you ready? Vince, Victor, Vicky, Vanna, Virginia, Vanessa, Veronica, Vonda, and Vaughn. There'll be a quiz at the end of the service. You can give all nine of those children's names. Pastor Matt will have a gift card for you, okay? <laughs> I'm only saying it once, though. No. I married Veronica. Let me tell you, it was pretty overwhelming for me coming from a, a quiet British family. And we, we had immigrated from England when I was four. And, you know, if you grew up in that kind of a home, that's where children were seen and not heard. And uh, that's the home I grew up in. And they just an older brother and myself. And then I'm overwhelmed that first Sunday. I'm invited over for lunch. Well, I can tell you this, in the first few weeks of knowing Veronica, I learned a lot about her. I learned again about this wonderful extended family that she had, her siblings and all the others that came with it, and some were married at that point, some of her older siblings, and they had children, and you know, it just keeps multiplying from there, as you can imagine, with a family that size, what we're at these days. But I just got to know a lot about her. I, I learned about her salvation, and uh, I learned what she liked and what she didn't like. And I, I began to learn, you know, when to speak and when to be silent. Men, that's a good thing to learn, you know, as it said, <laughs> and the wisdom to know when to speak and when to be silent. But let's be honest, in the first few months, I learned a lot about her, but did I really know her? No, I would say to you, it's over many years after dating for like a year and a half before we were married, and then the last 36 and a half years of being married, I've learned so much more about her. And the way I've learned so much more about her is through the experiences that God has taken us through over those years. Some delightful, fabulous experiences and some very challenging experiences. And you know what? That's exactly the same in our relationship with the Lord. We have to come to that place like I did at age 10 where we trust in Him for our salvation. But then from there, we grow in, through the experiences that He takes us through. And here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing this about 30 years after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus as recorded in Acts chapter 8. 30 years later, back in Acts chapter 8, Paul was confronted with the truth. He was convicted by the truth. He was converted by the truth, 
And then from that moment on, he gave his life to be controlled by that truth. And you can read through the book of Acts and see the experiences that God took Paul through. You can read about it in Corinthians, the challenging experiences that he went through. And here's Paul 30 years later as a follower of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, he's still saying what? I want to know Christ. He realized there's so much more for me to learn. And I want to go deeper and stronger in my everyday walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope this morning, no matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, whether it's a short time or a long time, that would be your prayer, that I want to know Christ. There's so much more for me to learn and to grow in my understanding of who Jesus is and what He has done for me. Don't ever lose that passion and that zeal in knowing Christ. I'll be honest with you, there's been times in my life in ministry that I haven't had that passion. And I have to ask God to renew that within me. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. That's okay, by the way. Because God is quite willing for us to come back to Him when we've kind of lost a bit of that zeal and passion in our daily walk and say, God, I want to know you more than ever before and grow deeper in your understanding. And where do we primarily grow deeper in our understanding of who God is and what He's done for us? It's in the Word of God. So I encourage all of us, like the Apostle Paul, be a student of the Word of God. Dig deep into it personally. If you, you have small groups, I'm sure, get part of a small group. Nice, we can meet together in person again. You know, dig deep, come to Sunday services, classes, whatever your church offers. Just dig deep into the truth of God's Word so that it changes you from the inside and then changes how you live on the outside. And be like the Apostle Paul with that same hunger and passion. I want to know Christ. I love it as a, and as a follow-up message to this message. As you get down in verse 12, what does the Apostle Paul say? Not that I've already obtained all this. Paul would say, guess what? I'm not there yet, but I'm going in that direction. So have that same passion. And can I also say to you this morning, if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today can be the day of salvation for you. You, you can know Christ personally. You may know a whole lot about Jesus. You may be able to answer all the questions <laughs> that are asked in the classroom. But if it has not gripped your heart and changed your life, you've come to that place of repentance and faith, you can do that today. We read in Romans 3 verse 10 that there is no one who is righteous, no, not one. That's bad news. <laughs> That's everyone in this room today or watching online. And it goes on to say in, in, uh, in Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's also bad news. And then the first part of Romans 6, 23 says the wages of our sin is what? It's death. What we deserve to be paid for our sin is death, which there is very clear in the Scriptures is eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. That's not a popular thing today to say those things, but that is the truth of God's Word. That's the bad news. But then there's the good news. And it goes on in Romans 6, 23, yeah, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we read in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated His love toward us. In what? While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. On the cross, He paid the full price for your sin and my sin. Praise God. I understood that at age 10. 
And today, you need to become like that 10-year-old boy, no matter what age you are, you have to come in childlike faith and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the full price for your sin. God just didn't talk about love. He demonstrated love. He is love. <laughs> Can't be anything else. And he loved us so much that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross to pay the full price for all our sin. And then Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We'll have our sins forgiven and the guarantee of a home in heaven for all eternity. In those verses in Romans 10, 9 and 10, there's two implications. Number one is this, that if we are willing to confess Jesus is Lord, what we are really saying is this, I've been Lord of my life, I've been in control, and now I surrender it to the Lordship of Christ. The second implication is this, believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead. Well, before you can, someone can be raised from the dead, what has to happen? They have to die. So it's saying, it's acknowledging, yes, Jesus Christ died on the cross, but He didn't stay dead. After three days, He was raised from the grave. And today, if you would confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And there are people here, Pastor Matt, there are others, even myself, take all the time necessary to talk to you about how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Or you can contact the church in the week if you're watching online, reach out to the church, and I know they'd be more than delighted to set up a time to meet with you. You see, a real relationship with Jesus, it must be personal. Number two is this. Paul would tell us it will be powerful. What does he say in the next part of verse 10? I want to know Christ. Yes, what? To know the power of His resurrection. It will be powerful. The word power here in the original language of the, uh, the Bible of the New Testament, which was Greek, the word here means to overcome resistance. It's where we get our English word for dynamite. What do we use dynamite for? To remove things that are blocking a road or a railway going through the mountains. Uh, my wife and I traveled to uh, Myrtle Beach back in uh, mid-February through to the first week of March. On our way down and on our way back home, we travel on Interstate 79 through West Virginia. And there's a, as you're traveling down that interstate, it goes through the mountains of West Virginia. And there's two times that you have to go through a tunnel, mainly because it was too much to go over it. It would take too long to go around it. So they went through it. And decades ago, they would have used dynamite to blast out the rock to allow that tunnel to be built so that you could drive through the tunnel. See, that, that mountain was, was resisting the road going through to the other side of the mountain. When the Trans-Canada Railway was built, you know, they started on the west coast, started on the east coast, and eventually they realized they had a major problem <laughs> when they got just west of Calgary, Alberta. What was it? The Rocky Mountains. And they realized, how we can't go around, <laughs> we certainly can't go over, so we got to go through. And again, dynamite would have been used. Many lives were lost as a result of, of the engineering back in that day. Thankfully, things have improved a whole lot, and we've learned a lot in that area. But as that went through, that, that, those mountains were resisting the railway. I've never made that trip. Maybe some of you have. I understand it's incredibly beautiful as the train, you know, approaches the Rockies and goes through the mountains. But dynamite would have been used to remove that which was resisting. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment you come to Christ, whether you realize it or not, you will begin to face resistance in this world. 
Where does that resistance come from? From Satan and his demons. Satan absolutely hates you. He hates your marriage. (laughs) He hates your family. He hates God's church. And he will do all that he can to bring resistance into your life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, to resist you really knowing Christ and knowing the power of His resurrection. The same power that raised Christ from the grave is the same power by God the Holy Spirit who lives within every follower of Jesus that we have to live this life for Christ. We can't do it without God the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely impossible. And I praise God, I didn't understand it at age 10, but a few years later I came to realize that the moment I came to Christ, God the Holy Spirit took up residence in my life, and He had complete control. And I needed to surrender to that control each and every day because I'm going to face resistance as a follower of Christ. Praise God. He he just didn't save us and leave us all alone to face the enemy. And I just encourage you, realize every day as you leave your home, the enemy is active. Pray on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And often we downplay in our culture, you know, uh, the whole aspect of Satan and his demons. I've been in countries where you just see it far more uh, publicly than we see it here. But Satan is very active. And he absolutely hates you as a follower of Jesus. He hates your family. That's why I I say to you as, as husbands and fathers, the biblical responsibility to lead your home and make sure it's focused on God. And then as husbands and wives, if God's blessed you with little ones, do all that you can to live out the reality of your relationship with Jesus in front of your children. They have to eventually make a personal decision, but do all that you can to live out the reality of a relationship with Jesus. So they have no excuse. Say, when they stand before God, say, well, my parents didn't do that. Well, that's no excuse for them. They're going to be personally accountable before God. But do all that you can. By the way, if you're here as a follower of Jesus and you've accepted Christ even short time, even if it's been many, many years, but you've never given a public testimony of your faith by being baptized, you need to just get that done as soon as possible. I'm sure they will fill this tank up behind these doors over and over and over again and give a public testimony of your faith. Even if you're embarrassed about it, said, well, that was 10 years ago for me. Don't worry about it. Just do it. Because the example that that sets to your church family, but specifically sets to your own family, is absolutely vital. And again, it's simple obedience and surrender to the truth of the Word of God. When Satan fell from heaven, the Bible says in rebellion against God, one-third of the angels fell with him. We don't know exactly how many that is. But we do get a picture in the book of Revelation when John saw this incredible sight in heaven. <laughs> he, he says it was, the number of angels was a thousand times a thousand, that's a million, or 10,000 times 10,000. In other words, it was, and that's a hundred million. It was such a large number that he just couldn't count it, so he just put down these numbers. <laughs> so that means when Satan fell from heaven, if, it, if there's a million still there, in heaven, that means there was 500,000 who fell with Satan, if it's one-third. If it was the far end and it was 100 million, just think about that for a moment. That means 50 million fell with Satan. Whatever it is, 
We know Satan is at work in our world. One day that will all end, praise God. But in the meantime, we're going to face resistance. But we have the power of God. I love what it says in uh, 2 Peter 1 verse 3. God's divine power, same word, the ability to overcome resistance, has given us what? Everything we need for life and godliness. God's given it all to us. It's available to us. And we just have to make sure that we are drawing upon that everyday power. Pray on the full armor of God before we leave our homes in the morning. Spend time in the Word and in prayer. And then go out into the world realizing we are going to face resistance. But God's divine power is there for us. So Paul says, yes, it will be a real relationship with Jesus. It will be powerful. Number three, and we don't like this one so much, but Paul knew the reality of this in his relationship with Christ. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of His resurrection. And what? I want to know the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Now, when you, as a follower of Jesus, think of the word fellowship, what comes to mind? You know, you are a fellowship Baptist church. But when you think of fellowship in the context of church, what comes to mind? Food, exactly. Let me tell you, as a teenager, I loved being part of a church family that had lots of fellowship. <laughs> you know, uh, we had Sunday night after church social. We called them snacks, <laughs> okay, for short. And we would have food, and we had lunches after church. And guess what? We had food. <laughs> okay? That's what we think of when we think of fellowship, right? And just joining together with the family of God. But Paul here takes it to a far greater degree. He says, fellowship's not just that. Obviously, that's vitally important. Make sure you take advantage of that, especially after the last two years that we've been through. The fellowship of God's people, vitally important. But he says the fellowship of sharing or participating with Him in His sufferings. And we know the suffering that Christ went through on our behalf. We're moving towards Easter. And when you come to Good Friday and our focus upon the crucifixion and what Christ did for us there, the incredible suffering that He went through. Already on the screen this morning was Galatians 2 verse 20. I, which literally means, uh, it's where we get our English word for ego, literally me, myself, and I have been crucified with Christ, all of me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in this flesh, I want, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. But I have been crucified with Christ. It's going to be painful. We will suffer in society as we strive to live righteous lives. We are on the front lines. When you, when you go to see a play... The, uh, the actors, the main actors, they are front and center on the stage. They come under the light. They're not back in the shadows. And the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you move out from the darkness and you moved into His wonderful light. And that means you're exposed for who you are. People will know just by the way you live and by the way you talk that you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called to be what? The salt of the earth. And we are the light of the world. But we will suffer for Christ. I encourage you at some point, jot down 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 28. The Apostle Paul understood the fellowship of sharing and suffering. And he talks about being shipwrecked. Talks about going hungry. Talks about being beaten to the place where he nearly died because of his faith in Christ. Talks about being in prison. 
And you can understand, Paul can write this with authority, that it will be painful because he understood the fellowship of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And may I say to those of you who are older this morning, by the way, anybody 40 and over, guess what? You're older. (laughs) I didn't call you old, just older like me. And we always need to have that mindset. I always say if you're in that older category, you'd be thinking of those who are younger coming up behind you. And what are you doing to invest in that next generation? That's our hearted heritage, obviously, is to invest. But what are you doing personally in your own families as well as within the context of your local church to invest in that next generation? But those of, you, those of us who are older, we've been through some, some stories, right? We've been through some battles more than maybe those who are younger. Don't be afraid to share your war stories because those who are younger need to hear that from us like the Apostle Paul shares with us in 2 Corinthians. We need to hear those stories because, number one, they encourage us to keep going in our faith when we are younger, but they are also remind us that God takes us through those hard times and He shapes us. And like Job, we come forth as what? As gold. And those who are younger need to hear that because that will help them in their faith because they need to realize it's going to be painful. Sometimes when we're younger, we don't think that way, but they need to realize this is part of the reality of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be painful. And God uses those experiences, those painful experiences, like He did with Paul, like He did with the the early Christians in the book of Acts. He uses them, one, to grow us in our faith, but then also to reach out with the message of the gospel. And when there is intense persecution of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, Guess what happens? More and more people come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are facing it in our country. I believe as we go forward, we're just going to face it more and more. We are less of a Christian nation. (laughs) You know, that's what we used to be called, not anymore. And so we will be in the minority. We are in the minority. But that just gives us the glorious opportunity as more persecution comes to band together as as brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for one another, encourage one another, but then to see the gospel go forward. The more there was persecution, the more the gospel went forward. It's true in our world today in so many places. Number four, real relationship with Jesus. We need to be reminded it must be personal. Number two, it will be powerful. Yes, it will be painful, but number four is this. It's always purposeful. And we pick that up in verse 11. Paul says, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, as you read that, I remember reading that for the first time, thinking, is Paul doubting the fact of the resurrection? Well, all you have to do is read in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? That entire chapter The first 57 verses talk to us about the fact of the resurrection. Paul was absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ did not stay dead, but he was raised from the the grave. Paul absolutely believed that. And because of that, that's why he writes in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, be what? Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why is it not in vain what you do for Christ? It's because of the fact of the resurrection those first 57 verses. Whenever you read the word therefore, what do you need to ask yourself? What is it there for? (laughs) 
For this reason, because of what he shared in the first 57 verses of 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So Paul here is not doubting the resurrection. So what is he saying to us here in verse 11? Well, in our English language, we have one word for resurrection. And when you think of the word resurrection, what comes to mind? To be raised what? Up from the dead, right? We sing, up from the grave he arose. But in the Greek, and it's used here, there's a slight variance to the word that we translate resurrection. And instead of in this context, in this verse, meaning to be raised up from the dead, it means to be raised out from the dead. Slight difference, but that's exactly what it means. So what is Paul saying here when he's talking about being raised out from the dead? Well, Paul knew, and we understand, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are alive physically, right? You're here today. But you are also alive spiritually. You've been raised to new life in Christ. People who do not know Christ, they are alive physically, just like you. But they are dead spiritually. So Paul is saying this to us this morning. When we think about it, real relationship with Jesus always being purposeful. He said, I want to live my life in such a way that people clearly see I've been raised to new life in Christ. And I've been raised out from the world. See, I'm no longer a part of this world. My citizenship is in heaven. And Paul knew one day he would have a glorified body. And so will you. Aren't you looking forward to that? We'll have a glory. No more pain. <laughs> no more aches. No more suffering. No more illness. We'll have a glorified body one day. That'll be incredible. So Paul is saying to us this morning, as followers of Jesus, live your life in such a way on earth that as though you already have that glorified body, that you live out from the living dead, those who are alive physically but dead spiritually. In other words, communicate the gospel. Be salt and be light and allow God to use you to help bring people to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not save anybody, right? But God does that. But God delights, and He's chosen to do it this way, is to use His children to communicate the message of the gospel. We read in, uh, in Corinthians as well that uh, Paul talks about, you know, I planted the seed. It's the farming picture, the seed of the gospel. Apollos watered the seed. That's, you know, it has to be planted. It has to be watered. But God is the one who gives the increase. And we know clearly from the Scriptures, God is the one who saves people. We don't. But He wants to use us. And so your life as a follower of Jesus, if you have a real relationship with Jesus, it's going to be purposeful. I love 2 Corinthians 5. It's one of my favorite passages in, in the Bible. Turn there with me just briefly as we wrap up this morning. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, and this is a beautiful verse, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. We delight in that. And verse 18, all this is from God, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That in God, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has entrusted to us as followers of Jesus the ministry and the message of reconciliation. 
We help people become friends with God again. See, their sin, as we know, has separated them from God. They are enemies of God. And we have the wonderful privilege, like we ourselves were reconciled to God. When we came in repentance and faith, we helped bring others to that place. What is the ministry of reconciliation? It's the clear, visual demonstration of our faith. It's what we do for Jesus. Is that important? Absolutely. What is the message of reconciliation? It's the concise, verbal declaration of our faith. So we have a visual demonstration and a verbal declaration. And by the way, it's not just enough to do the visual demonstration. A lot of people say, hey, you know, you just live for Jesus and people will come to Christ. Do we need to live and set the example? Absolutely. It gives credibility to the verbal declaration. But ultimately, we have to give a verbal declaration. Because we learn in Romans 10, verse 17, I believe it is, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? By the word of Christ, by the word of truth, the gospel. Eventually, we have to speak the gospel. Both are vitally important. And I would just say to you as a congregation, individually, in your families, as well as corporately, what are you doing to give a visual demonstration of the gospel? And then what are you doing to give a verbal declaration? Because we are what? Christ's ambassadors. I don't know about you, but I'm probably not going to be chosen to be the next Canadian ambassador to Brazil. Probably government's not going to choose me when one is needed. I don't know about you, maybe you would be chosen. But you know what God does for us? The moment we come to repentance and faith, He takes us and He makes us ambassadors for Christ. And what does an ambassador do? Represents his homeland in a foreign country. His citizenship is still in his homeland, but he's now living in that foreign country to represent the government and the culture of his homeland. The moment we came to Christ, we traded in our earthly citizenship, we became citizens of heaven, and now we live as citizens of heaven on this earth, as ambassadors for Christ. Let us be faithful to this high calling that God has given us, and I love, I always think of this picture in, in uh, I believe it's in Acts chapter 2, Peter and John preach the gospel. And the religious leaders hear the, the message of the gospel and they see their boldness. And, and they are astounded by these men because it says, and it describes them this way. They took note that they were ordinary and unschooled men. That Greek word that's used there is idiotes. It's not hard to determine what English word we derive from idiotes. <laughs> They were ordinary, they were idiotes. And then they said this, yet these religious leaders took note that these men had been with Jesus. The moment we have been with Jesus, when we experience salvation, come in repentance and faith and accept Him as our Lord and Savior, God takes us from being idiotes, ordinary and unschooled, and He makes us ambassadors for Christ. Now, I guarantee you, our government is not going to choose someone who's ordinary and unschooled to be the next ambassador to the country of Brazil. But that's what God does for us. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) And the moment you come to repentance and faith, you become an ambassador for Christ. And God has left us here on planet Earth for a purpose. Yes, we get all the benefits We get all the joy of the relationship. We get the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. But if that's all it is to us, we've got to examine our hearts. Because God has left us here for that purpose, to be faithful ambassadors. And for as long 
as we have breath. We need to give a clear visual demonstration and a concise verbal declaration of the message of the gospel. Won't it be incredible when you get to heaven and you realize you're shocked because that person you work with ended up coming to faith in Christ? Maybe you didn't see it. Maybe that was years ago that you worked with that person. But obviously God had used you and probably used a number of others because that's often the way it works to see that person come to repentance and faith. You know, there's that song years ago that was, uh, was written. It says, thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Let me tell you, I had so many people in my life who helped bring me to repentance and faith and then grow in my faith. And I'm a life that was changed. When I get to heaven, I'm going to be thanking some people that I didn't get to thank while they were still here on earth. But I also strive to thank them while they're still here on earth if I can. <laughs> Just reach out to them and say, thank you. My life was changed by you. And what a joy that will be for us to share in that part of their salvation, that we were just even a link in the chain. And so again, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You might think, oh, they rejected, they were bitter, they were angry towards me. Just realize you faithfully sow the seed, someone else will water it, and then God will give the increase. Your life as a follower of Jesus, you are called to a life of purpose. You see, reality is that which truly exists, not mere appearance, that which is genuine. I read this quote not too long ago. It said this, too many churches have become content to be keepers of the aquarium rather than being fishers of men. Now, it's important to keep the aquarium. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> okay? That's important. But if that's all we're doing and we're not being fishers of men, then that's a problem. I also read recently... $47 billion is spent on global missions every year. That's incredible. That's through people giving, $47 billion. But this group that shared that information also said only about 1% of that $47 billion is actually directly used to share the message of the gospel. Again, there's a lot of good missions work going on, not limiting those things. But we've got to rearrange our priorities here. And why are we giving? Why are we going? Why are we equipping the next generation of missionaries so that they can go with the message of the gospel? Not just missionaries, but you and I as well. Paul says, I want to know Christ. If you're going to pray that prayer, be ready for experiences that God will take you through. If you want to know the power of his resurrection, be ready for experiences that God will take you through. If you break that, your prayer. If you pray, I, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, <laughs> that's a little risky one to pray. But guess what? He's going to take you through experiences, so you understand that more than ever before. And if you pray, I, I want to know, the, you know the, the, somehow to attain this resurrection from the dead, that I live my life in such a way that all people see is this glorified body, that I look like Jesus and I live like Jesus, then be ready for experiences. God will bring people into your lives who need to see that example and need to hear the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Uh, your word is rich. It's such a blessing to our hearts, but it also challenges us. I know it challenges me personally, and I pray that we would be just like the Apostle Paul, that we want to know you more than ever before in a deeper and stronger way, that we are willing to experience in a greater way 
the power of the resurrection, and also to know in a greater way the fellowship of sharing in your suffering. And then, Father, to be faithful as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for these folks. Bless them, I pray, Lord. And again, I pray today for any who have not yet come to repentance and faith in Christ. Today would be the day of salvation for them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.